This episode of Down to Business is brought to you by Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare, guiding our local communities to better health for over 50 years. Hello and welcome to Down to Business, the New Hampshire Business Review weekly podcast. I am once again, not Jeff Feingold. I am Ernesto Burden, a publisher of New Hampshire Business Review, uh, sitting in for Jeff, who is in the second week this week of his um, quarantine from work, uh, otherwise known as vacation. Um, he's lying on an undisclosed beach somewhere, uh, probably wearing a mask. And um, here uh, today, we are really excited. We're gonna jump right into the topic. We have um, a couple of folks uh, from uh, JP Morgan, uh, who are here, JP Morgan Chase uh, Commercial Banking, uh, who are here to uh, uh, talk about JP Morgan's mid year outlook. And the big question of that mid year outlook is can the recovery keep its momentum? And there is some incredible data in there um, that, that we're going to dive into. And the person who is going to lead us into that deep dive is uh, NHBR's uh, associate editor, Lisa Rahala. Lisa, You've been covering this. You know the deal. Introduce us to our guests and uh, and take it away. Yes, thanks for the introduction, Ernesto. So we are here today with Jim Glassman, who is the managing director and head economist of commercial banking for J.P. Morgan Chase, and then uh, Tom Cunningham, who is the vice president of commercial banking in New Hampshire. And J.P. Morgan has recently opened um, an office in New Hampshire. Um, so uh, thank you for joining us today, gentlemen. Uh, you know, yeah. we're interested in hearing about your mid-year outlook, as well as um, you also conducted a business leader survey that I found particularly interesting, uh, considering, uh, you know, businesses are still uh, struggling during this time, but the statistics showed that 53% uh, of business leaders predict a full return to pre-pandemic conditions within 12 months, which I thought seemed um, pretty optimistic, considering we're still in the middle of this. Yeah, you know what's interesting about this? I think that our business leaders are telling us they understand that we're in the middle of something that we have never seen before. Now, this is not a normal business cycle. This is a self-inflicted wound. We had to do this because our hospital system didn't have the ability to handle a whole bunch of sick people on top of the flu season. So I think what our business leaders are telling us is, uh, yeah, it's very disruptive. There's a lot of upheaval, but um, we're, we're going to great extents to try to help people who are furloughed, to try to keep people attached to their jobs, to help us get things moving again when we're allowing people to go back to work. And um, our, you know, a good half of our leaders are telling us, as you said, expect to get back to fully back on our feet within a year. I don't find that all that unrealistic uh, in the sense that this is, this is looking and feeling more like a natural disaster. We have a disruption, but I'll tell you, the response in Washington has been pretty extraordinary. At a time of great political polarization, it's pretty amazing. And I think we've done a good job of helping folks replace the lost wages. The real challenge is gonna come from now until we get a vaccine, trying to help, you know, businesses have to figure out how to make a, a go of it here in, uh, you know, while still honoring social distancing guidelines. So that's a tough thing. And it's probably tougher for schools and municipalities because um, there's a lot, we hadn't really 
those, those guys were sort of secondary wave. But I think uh, I think it's interesting that business leaders they tend to be optimistic anyway, and they're most optimistic about their own situation. But I think uh, it's interesting that they see it that way, and maybe they're taking some cue from what they see going on in the equity market. Uh, the equity market seems to have the same idea. Well, and I noticed too with the survey that um, business leaders had said, let's see, approximately 25 to 40 percent of business leaders said that, or, or I'm sorry, this is your mid-year outlook. You had saw that lost um, economic activity had been recouped by mid-June. This is about yeah, a quarter yeah. to nearly half percent. That that seems very promising as well. Isn't that stunning? Um, you know, between between um, February and mid-April is when all the losses, the, with the economy just, we, sh we asked restaurants and bars to shut down, a uh, lot of havoc. And most of the burden of that was borne by small businesses, people who work at restaurants, bars, fitness centers, travel business. Um, and what's interesting is when you look at the labor market data, retail sales, consumer spending, housing activity, well, first of all, consumer activity is totally back to where it was in February, totally. Um, manufacturing activity is about almost half the way back. Overall labor market trends are about 40%, 30 to 40%. And by the way, that applies to no matter where you look. That's true in Manchester. That's true for New Hampshire. That's true for Illinois. You could drop into any town in this country. You'll see the exact same story because when everybody's forced to ask their restaurants to shut down, it has the same impact on everybody. So it is, it is promising that eight weeks after the bottom, we hit bottom in mid-April, eight weeks later, we are already 30 to 40% of the way back. And that kind of that kind of aligns with what these guys are telling us, you know, the business leaders. That's a great point, Jim. Um, Tom, I did want to ask you, because you are in New Hampshire, and it's an interesting time too for J.P. Morgan Chase to move into the state. What is your perspective on the ground level here? Yeah, so, Greatly appreciate the opportunity to be here today and, and, and thank you so much. So, you know, in New Hampshire, what, what I'm seeing specifically, you know, certain industries were, were hit harder than others, right? So as Jim mentioned, in New Hampshire, you know, tourism, entertainment, travel, hotels, restaurants, all hit super hard. However, you know, food stores, beverage stores, hardware stores, garden stores, online companies, you know, they've all been doing pretty well. So. So this suggests, you know, to some extent, it, if you put money into consumers' pockets, you know, they're going to spend it, you know, just on a different basket of goods and services than, than kind of in the pre-pandemic economy. So, so kind of that's what I'm seeing here in New Hampshire and specifically with some of my clients, um, you know, they have changed their operating model um, very quickly. So, so for example, you know, a client of mine that typically operates in, in the food um, and, and candy industry, you know, shifted gears really quickly and actually began manufacturing, selling, distributing PPE, so, so mask and hand sanitizer. And, and I would say that's pretty consistent with our survey, you know, 56% of, of business leaders in the survey, they, they said they've already made permanent changes to their operating models or, or they plan to do so, you know, in, in the next three or so months. I also thought, thought that point was really interesting because it shows that businesses are adaptable and they're, you know, finding a way to ride out this pandemic. 
Um, I, I still wonder, I guess, um, while it's really promising that the economy is in some ways returning back to normal and perhaps um, once we get a vaccination or make some sort of significant breakthrough, we'll even more so return back to how um, the economy was, you know, booming economy before the pandemic. Um, I do wonder, you know, did you find that are there still lingering concerns among um, executives and you know local business leaders in terms of how to navigate this new normal? Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think they don't. People people are trying to figure out what are, what are the what's the per, what's the long term impact going to be on all this. If you're in commercial real estate, or you're trying to figure out is the, is the is work life going to change? Are we going to? We're sort of getting used to this uh, idea of virtual communication and working from home and those kinds of things. People wonder. I mean, you know, in some businesses, you got to you got to think hard about how this might change life. I think, you know, personally, I think that what it's going to do is is ex, it's exposing us to what we already knew. Innovation is creating a lot of ways of doing things. We're all sort of familiar with it, but we never really had a motivation to go whole hog into what we're doing, uh, and I think what, what this is doing, well, I, I look at the consumer, I'm always amazed. Only 25% of retail sales were online transactions, but in the month of May, just in the blink of an eye, it went to like, it jumped to 35%. And that tells you, we know it's there, we're used to it. Um, some of us like it, some of us don't. Uh, so I, I don't really know, I, I think our guy, I think our business leaders are, they, they seem poised, they seem prepared to be able to make a quick change, but I think it's um, it's too early to figure out how much it's gonna change. And like, for example, the guys that are most vulnerable, I think, are, is anybody in the business travel area? A lot of people think, well, gee, if, if we're learning to communicate virtually, does this is this gonna undermine business travel? Well, I don't think so, because you know, a lot of this business that's going on, it's all it's happening all around the world. People People have to travel to see what's going on. You can't do virtual communication with your operation in Mumbai. You got to be there to understand it and to feel it. So I think um, I think everybody is thinking hard about this, but no one really knows. And I and I think uh, what we're going to find probably is the crisis is kind of propelling some of the trends that we've been living with. But it's it's too early to figure out whether how much of life is going to change. I, you know what, by, by the way, one thing I find interesting, we, um, our folks who are uh, managing the return to office, uh, we've done a survey of all of our people, 250,000 people who work for us. Here's what's interesting. The younger you are, the more you want to go back to the office. The older you are, you don't need to because you got your rhythm. But it's a reminder that you learn a lot. Uh, first of all, there's a so social aspect to this. But secondly, you learn a lot by being on the jobs, being around people, listening to people talking. It's really, there's limitations on how much you can pick up when you're coming out of school and you gotta learn all this stuff that you never heard of before, like in our business. Very interesting. So it makes you think, keep an open mind because we don't really know how much is gonna change. That's a good point. Tom, you yeah. wanted to chime in? Yeah, so I would say more specifically in New Hampshire, as I think about, you know, the concerns of business leaders um, and just to state the obvious right so so economic uncertainty is is extremely high right now and there right. so most business leaders in New Hampshire that I speak with um, you know they're describing 
the economic uncertainty both here in the United States and globally as as you know the leading challenge that's that's facing their business um, since the outbreak of covid businesses have been faced with with big challenges constraining their their liquidity and cash and as i talk to cfos in new hampshire that that is a major concern is liquidity and cash over the next 6 to 12 months so companies are, are being forced essentially to you know protect the financial core of the business to be able to weather this period and prepare the company for, you know, what a post-COVID world may look like, right? So kind of tying that into our survey, um, you know, most executives, I think 71%, they've cut back on capital expenditures for the rest of this year. And that's pretty consistent with my clients in New Hampshire. You know, my CEOs and CFOs that I'm talking to, they're pulling back on some CapEx plans at least for the rest of this year, and just until we have a little more visibility through this murkiness and, and, and into 2021. Did you get a sense that they had cash on hand before to make capital expenditures? I'm just curious if there was, um, you know, if they had made, uh, they had perhaps intended or considered making investments that now they have decided against. Yeah, so fortunately going into this period, balance sheets were pretty healthy. You know, the economy was doing so well for so long. You know, revenue was going up for the most part with a lot of clients and customers. So, so balance sheets look pretty good where they had some access to cash or perhaps had an access to a line of credit with the bank. Um, so that set them up, you know, in a decent position as they entered in, you know, to this period. Hey, uh, this is Ernesto again. Uh, just going to cut in for a second to say uh, we need to take a quick break and thank our sponsor. We'll be right back. We'd like to thank Harvard Pilgrim for supporting Down to Business. While so much has changed, Harvard Pilgrim's commitment to their members and the local community has not. Whether you're looking to shake it up, stretch it out, or get centered, Harvard Pilgrim's new live virtual well-being courses have you covered with Zumba, yoga, guided mindfulness, and more. All courses are available to everyone at no cost. Get more details and check out the class schedule at harvardpilgrim.org slash livingwellathome. And we're back. Um, so so uh, fascinating so far. Lisa, take it away. Yeah, uh, Jim, tell me a little bit more of, you know, um, obviously we are now, you were talking before about how we think that the economy will make a, uh, sounds like a strong recovery uh, post the COVID-19 pandemic, but um, I wonder if you can walk us through a little bit of, we were saying how the economy is going to change. Have you considered um, the uh, shifts in jobs? I'm just kind of curious because it seems like there might be some long-term impacts of this. Yeah, well, that's that's a really interesting backstory in all what's going on because I hear from our clients, we're constantly talking about this on on our virtual meetings. People are noticing that um, all in the middle of this disruption, there's also lots of opportunity. And for a business, when they see this kind of opportunity, what they're seeing is, well, wait a minute, we can do a lot more more efficiently than we've been doing. Uh, all this virtual communication, the 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 work from home, those kinds of things, and what they're real, what they're what they're asking is, um, is this is this going to make us more efficient? 
does this mean that we don't need we don't need as many people as we thought we did? And if so, what kind of opportunities are there for young people or for people who lose their jobs? And I think, you know, this is a really difficult story because we've been living with this for a long time, right? Innovation is very disruptive, um, but it also creates opportunities. And I think um, the, the, I think one of the important long-term trends we're gonna see is that, and we noticed this a, de a decade ago, a decade ago in the middle of the financial crisis, what I noticed was everyone was telling me, gee, all this technology is letting me do more with less. And we noticed this huge increase in productivity in the middle of the recession. That's very counterintuitive. Most, most economists don't expect to see this till you're, doing, till you're doing well. But when you're under stress and you have to survive, um, that's when you see the real benefits in innovation that have been percolating for a while. And I have a feeling we're gonna see that again we're going to see that the crisis is is exposing us. We're getting more familiar with all the technology. Businesses are doing more digital tra financial transactions. There's so much going on that's going to make them more efficient. Uh, as in, you know, it's always disruptive, and and I think most people worry. Well, what does this mean about all those people who lose their jobs? What are they going to do? And you know, all I can say as an economist, which, as you watch our history, we don't know how it happens, but what happens? is this kind of transformation opens up new opportunities for people. And we're, you know, somehow it's, it's by magic it happens. And we in this country have never really had a problem, except in the Great Depression, we've never really had a problem keeping Americans employed because either technology opens up new opportunities or we work really hard to get people employed in those jobs. The, the challenge always is, do you have the right skills for the jobs can you, it's all about the pay, frankly. Um, do, do, you have this, do you have the training, the skills for well-paying jobs? And that's the, to me, this kind of process usually does uh, open up more opportunities for Americans and improves pay, but it's awfully challenging and you've got to work really hard to figure out where are those opportunities and you've got to, you've got to get the education and the training. It does seem that the pandemic has highlighted this divide between what white collar professionals who were able to work from home and do virtual meetings as we are now yeah. and those who had um, in-person retail jobs or, um, uh, you know, other sort of settings like that. Um, I'm just kind of curious with that divide. I mean, from your standpoint as an economist, um, you know, what is what is the big picture of that? It's very disruptive and it's just it's adding to a divide that's been brewing for at least a couple of decades. We see this in the trends on income distribution. And a lot of people, you know, the thing is it's caused by innovation. We're all, we're all, when I think about my own life and how much time it takes me to do things that I used to do 20 years ago, I can do it in the blink of an eye, what used to take days sometimes. And the problem is every time I push a button uh, to, to buy something from Amazon, for example, or Land's End or whatever, I know that I'm putting a vote in to get rid of a retail job. And that, that disruption has been going on for a while. And I think it tells you that it, it's a great process for all of us who use, that there are great benefits from this, but there's also disruptions. And the trick is to figure out how to help people get the skills and the training for where the better jobs are. This process is, this process actually is what economists think of as raising the living standard for the country, but that doesn't mean for everybody. 
and and it, it won't happen for everybody unless we get people trained and and um, and skilled up. Uh, businesses, by the way, this is this is the challenge. It's not it's going on not just for uh, people who work in the restaurants and the bars and the fitness centers. It's also there's a huge divide between small businesses and big businesses, and this this shockwave is pretty challenging for small businesses who don't. You know, when I look at America. The profitability of American businesses on the moon, but that's not true if you're running a restaurant or a fitness center or the bar. Uh, it, you know, there's a huge divide, and the same, the, that that trend echoes throughout a lot of America. I, I didn't want to ask Tom with the you know moving into the state in New Hampshire. I'm kind of interested in what J.P. Morgan's interest was in the state, and I um, I know that this decision has been a long time coming. So you um, obviously must have seen uh, a strong economy in New Hampshire before the pandemic. Um, tell me a little bit about you know what what drew J.P. Morgan Chase into the state. And just because also, you know, New Hampshire um, does seem to have a vibrant banking industry, but we don't have too many public companies. We do have a lot of, you know, small and medium sized businesses. So I'm just um, curious about, you know, what you saw coming into the state and your interest here. Yeah, absolutely, Lisa. So, so last year I helped open our office in, in New Hampshire, in Manchester, and that's, that's our middle market banking office. And it, Super exciting for me because I actually grew up in, just outside Keene in, in West Chesterfield. So born and raised in New Hampshire, and, and this is now an opportunity for me to be kind of closer to home and back in New Hampshire after being in Boston the last seven years. We have had clients in, in New Hampshire for years and years. We've never had a market office and presence, but we see New Hampshire, you know, as you mentioned, it, it's a vibrant market and there's a lot of potential for growth, right? So when I think of, you know, the, the, the business friendly climate, uh, skilled workforce, the tremendous quality of life, those are all things that make New Hampshire very, very attractive for businesses and, and for people that want to live here. And, and our expansion in New Hampshire, it does a couple of things that, you know, it, it helps us be closer to our existing clients that are here already. And then, you know, prospective clients. So boots on the ground, you know, local banker, that's me. And then I can help our clients connect, you know, connect them to the firm's tremendous resources and, and great people like Jim Glassman. So that is essentially, you know, my role is to bring the resources of J.P. Morgan Chase to New Hampshire. And I'm focused specifically on mid-sized companies. So, you know, privately owned, family owned, small and medium sized businesses. Um, and then in addition to, you know, our, our middle market office, we just opened our first branch in Nashua. And we plan to open another five over the next several years. Um, we'll hire about 50 people with that initiative. Um, so I'm personally super excited to be back here. We see a tremendous opportunity and look forward to, you know, continuing to support our clients in the community. I did want to ask you about, uh, well, Jim, did you have a comment there? Yeah, I wanted to add a, a perspective, what, what Tom was saying. Um, from my perspective, 40,000 feet in the air, well, we were noticing um, when the economy came through a recovery, it was all the big, dense urban areas that kind of spread in life first. And it got really expensive and congested. And what I noticed from 40,000 feet is all across the country, there was kind of an organic rebalancing taking place. Um, smaller communities, people that missed out on the, 
on the recovery were actually quite attractive places to be. And you were noticing people moving around. And as it got more and more expensive on the coasts and the New York, and in New York area, people were moving. And my feeling at the time was, if this, if this cycle can continue, and there was no reason to think that it shouldn't, unless there's a meteor strike, which is what we got, um, there, there was every reason to believe that this was going to spread the wealth around the country, and that pockets that might have not been as dynamic in the recovery were going to be more attractive opportunities. So I think that sort of fits the story that Tom was telling you, that, that, that it's making us think more and more about other communities beyond these urban areas that sort of prospered in the recovery. Um, real quick, could you give us a perspective of, you know, we talked about the environment in New Hampshire, looking looking at the rest of New England, how is the economy doing? Looking at Maine and Vermont, other northern New England states versus, say, um, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island. Same idea, I think, you know, and I, I think the biggest challenge right now is the tra travel uh, restrictions. And that's why, look, I, I was uh, speaking with folks in Maine, it's the, the travel has been way down. The municipalities are getting hurt really badly, and and I think you know that that challenge is showing up in Washington because they realize there's two big challenges right now. They've got to try to help schools figure out how to get back uh, this fall, and they've got to help municipalities that are suffering from a lack of tourism. People are staying closer to home, and uh, I hear this a lot where I am. Uh, people aren't traveling as much, but they're traveling more locally. So. Um, you know, places like Maine, Vermont, New Hampshire are feeling that. Um, and I think the more we can sort of get, if, if we can just throw out lifelines to get us to that moment where we're gonna have a vaccine, I think it fixes a lot of problems. The minute that vaccine comes, everybody's gonna wanna try to get back to life the way they knew it. And it, you'll be surprised how quickly we spring back because there was nothing wrong with the economy before we went in. It was, it was a lot of good things going on. There was nothing wrong. We, we had to do this in order to manage the burden on the hospital. So uh, it makes sense. If you, if you think about it, what Congress is doing has gone way beyond, in, in, by my calculation, we've lost about $700 billion of lost income relative to what we would have had as of right now, as of June. Well, Congress has authorized the release of up to $4 trillion. So, we're, we're willing to spend the money and they have been very focused on helping furloughed people. I think the big problem is uh, we, we, you know, businesses have a big challenge now because they have to make a go of it with social distancing. And that's a very tough thing for many. And then you're going to feel it. Uh, you know, uh, the states around you are going to feel it because that's a big, uh, especially in the summer, that's a big, you know, vacation but a year spot. A year from now, according to uh, both your mid-year outlook and the executive survey, it sounds like, fingers crossed. I think so. We'll be in Good a better chance. position then. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, at the bottom, we the economy dropped 10 to 15 percent below normal it, it, over the, you know, into the into mid-April. By now, we're back to 95 percent of normal. That's after eight weeks and I think that tells you we can't expect to be fully back until we get a vaccine. But I think it's I think there's reason to be uh, hopeful that a year from like, like these business leaders in our survey are telling you, I, I don't think they're far off the mark. That must be the idea, by the way, that's percolating in the stock market, because 
how can the stock market be 5% below its all-time record high back in mid-February if people didn't think this was possible? Well, thank you so much, um, Jim Glassman, Managing Director and Head Economist of Commercial Banking for J.P. Morgan Chase, and Tom Cunningham, Vice President of Commercial Banking in New Hampshire. We appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Thank you both, and, and thank you for leaving it on this note. This is the one I'm taking away. There's reason to be hopeful. Uh, absolutely. I will share that with our customers, our readers, and, and everybody else that I talk to. Um, I hear that same thing, by the way, from the medical professionals who know what's going on on all these different vaccine trials. The, the story coming out of there is, gee, it's moving faster than we might have thought three, three months ago, four months ago. Kelly. Even, even better. All right, well, thank you guys, and, and thank you all out there, uh, folks who are listening. Uh, we appreciate you uh, jumping in, and I, I'm sure that you found today valuable. I know that I did, so thanks again, Jim. Thanks again, Tom. Thank you for uh, moderating, Lisa, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Have a good one. Bye, guys.